When my mom passed away a number of years ago, as often happens in the family, uh, the kids kind of went through her belongings. I have four sisters, and so each one of them chose something that was meaningful to them, particularly of hers, piece of clothing, especially items of jewelry. But there was one thing my mom had that I absolutely wanted more than anything else. And that's that when I was growing up, we had a, a fireplace, and on the mantle of the fireplace was a bowling trophy. It was a woman, you know, getting ready to throw bowling ball down the alley. Because my mom had bowled a perfect game in her life. If you know bowling, she scored 300, 10 strikes in a row. Well, okay, mom was a great bowler. Why would that mean so much to me? Because she bowled that perfect game when she was nine months pregnant with me. <laughs> and you might not know it to look at me, but I was a huge baby, well over 10 pounds. And she always liked to say, well, she was basically carrying a bowling ball around inside of her. So throwing another one down an alley wasn't such a big deal. But I got that bowling trophy. Another reason that means something to me is that my parents bowled in something you don't find so much anymore, if ever, and that's a bowling league. It was a family bowling league. My dad was the youngest of seven kids, thousand cousins, lots of aunts and uncles, and this was a really big friends. You know, it was probably almost a hundred people in this league, and they would go faithfully every week in the bowling league. Well, the year my mom bowled her 300, the year I was born, is the last year of the family bowling league. For whatever reason, I guess they couldn't top 300, so they disbanded. That year, the year I was born, was 1965. 58, I'll save you the math. <laughs> and the reason I think that's important is that 30 years later, a book was written, and if you're a walking fossil, you might remember this book, because it was pretty famous at the time, Bowling Alone. If you've never read it, you should read it. They updated it 25 years later, right on the eve of the pandemic, which was really kind of fascinating. And the author was a sociologist. It's kind of a catchy phrase, you know, trying to sell books. But his point was, and it's loaded with studies of American society, but right about 1965, is when the number of bowlers in American society started going up, but the number of bowling leagues started going down. And probably not many people here at all are members of bowling leagues. And his point was this. His point was that in American society, at least for the second half of the 20th century, and it's kind of continued into our own, these social gatherings, these social affinity groups like bowling leagues or the Kiwanis Club or the Knights of Columbus in religious circles, whatever, they've declined and they've been sharply declining. And the author ties that to a number of things maybe of concern in American society. It's not a doom and gloom book and I don't want to suggest it's that. But if I were going to write the Catholic version of bowling alone, I would title it baptizing alone, or confirming alone, or marrying alone, or burying alone. And the reason I say that is this is something that started long before 1965, but really with the exception of the Eucharist, we sacrament alone. 
Now, not entirely alone, I get that, but it isn't something we do in a communal sense. It isn't something we generally do as a parish. And some of you have heard me harangue on this before, but I'm backed up by the bowling statistics, so don't argue with me. This idea that we reserve the church at a private time, or even all the kids are going to get confirmed, well, we'll separate a, a time. We won't do that when we otherwise all gather. And even if the wedding has a packed church, we know it's not packed with parishioners. And we also know it's not packed with people who are likely necessarily to go to church any other time. We've taken the sacraments and we've made them these kind of alone experiences. And I'd like to suggest that in the church, we've suffered somewhat because of it. Again, not doom and gloom, wonderful things happening in church. There are still lively parishes. St. Joe's is one of them. But we ought to acknowledge that there's a power, a sacramental power in that gathering that's way more than just meet the person next to you, though that's huge. That's the foundation that the sacramentality builds upon. You've got to know the person or at least see the whites of their eyes in order to have any sense of being together. It's certainly not the case that everyone in my family bowling league liked each other. Man, was it the case that not everyone in my family league liked each other. But they were there week after week throwing those plastic balls or whatever bowling balls are made of down the alley. And we lose something when we lose that. And it's often struck me that sociologists who may not care beings about religion often have a deeper insight into the Christian spiritual life than many theologians do. Because we can use the language of Jesus Christ, but they can tell us what it looks like, whether they care about Jesus or not. And when you put those two things together, you've got something pretty powerful. So why the bowling lesson? Because you see a beautiful example of that in the first reading coupled with the gospel. In the first reading, we meet yet another couple who are struggling to conceive. Infertility, it turns up again and again in the scriptures. It turns up again and again in 21st century America. As I'm sure plenty of people in this room are aware of either directly or through friends or family members. Maybe 15% of couples struggle at some time. It is such a powerful thing in scripture. Children, yes, they were a social safety net. They were a way of caring for the family. But much more than that, a couple without a child, they grieved, they struggled just in their own personhood. It wasn't just about the struggle with society. And so what happens? Well, as often happens in these cases, something miraculous comes along and then they have a child. Alicia comes to the couple and he sees to it. Next time I come, you'll have a child. Well, they do have a child. You can read up on it. And again and again in Scripture you see this. But what's the subtle lie that can creep in? The subtle lie that can creep in is that, well, yeah, okay, if God took care of them, why isn't he take care of me? They had a miracle. That's nice. I'd like a miracle too, God. What was so special about them? Or maybe what was so unspecial about me? And I don't mean to single this out just to that question of having a child. Let's broaden it, though that is a very powerful, dramatic example. But we all have versions of looking at Scripture and maybe seeing, hey, why did they get it and I didn't? 
I've done everything I've been asked to do. I, I pray, I support my parish, whatever it might be. Why do they have it and I don't? And then the faith can become this weird sense of the haves and have-nots. We don't use that language, I know it. We talk about how blessed we are. But a lot of times we suffer alone. We've lost that sense of what it means to communally absorb the sadnesses when they come as well as to celebrate the joys. And so when Jesus comes along, he doesn't. He doesn't reinforce that message that you could easily draw from these older scriptures. He doesn't say, if I love you, you'll know it because you'll never struggle again. He doesn't say, if I love you, you'll know it because you'll never be sick again. Yes, there are miracles, I get that. But far more sick people remained sick when Jesus walked this earth and got physically healed. And so look at the example today. He's got this little child, right? This little child in his midst who in some sense is the very picture of vulnerability, who is the very picture of someone who needs to say, look, I've got all these needs, I've got all these wants. What are you going to do for me? And what Jesus says, he doesn't use his miraculous superpowers to say, all right, kid, I'll make sure you have everything you need. I'll make sure you never lack. I'll see to it that you never get sick. I've got the ability to do it. I'm the son of God. Don't worry about it. What he says is, whoever receives one of these children receives me. It's all about receiving. He's talking to a group of people. He would only physically be there for what? Maybe a year or two at most? What he's saying to them is, if you really want me to be with you, you've got to receive this kid. And by extension, you've got to receive each other. And you don't just receive each other on your wedding day, and you don't just receive each other on some glorious celebration. Are you going to receive each other, as Paul says, when you're asked to die to self? Can you receive the one who is anguished in loving through self-gift because they're not quite sure what to do? And maybe all they can do is wonder, Lord, are you still here? And Jesus is basically saying, if you wonder in the future whether I'm still with you, remember what I'm telling you now. Receive one another. That's what sacramenting together looks like. It's way more than simply, well, let's gather and once a year we'll do the church picnic. And it's even more as beautiful as it is here at St. Joe's. You take those few seconds before Mass, introduce yourself to someone next to you. But then how does it grow from there? And I know you could tell me much better than I can tell you. This isn't a lecture. But it's simply to celebrate those moments and to look for them. And when they come along, to not let them pass by. This isn't just if I receive the child, I receive Jesus and I want to be closer to Jesus. It's that we either receive each other together or we receive no one. And we're sacramenting alone. I had no idea this was going to happen when I turned up, but God has a sense of humor. So you're all going to be asked to take a survey, uh, not in the pews, after Mass at home. Uh, St. Joe's is just doing a survey about Masses, what Masses you attend, why are you here, all that kind of stuff. I'd like to suggest that the most important question is number four. Answer them all. Number four, what is the primary reason you regularly attend 
mass that you come to? Answers, it's the most convenient mass for me and my family. It's not a bad answer. I prefer the solemnity of this mass. Music, welcoming, not a bad answer. I know other parishioners that attend this mass. I feel more connected to the St. Joseph faith community. Please circle which one most applies to you. The answer is all of the above. Whichever Mass it is that you're able to come to. If you get a chance, pull up that book, Bowling Alone. Better yet, read the 25-year anniversary edition. Any of the babies here, if you can top my birth weight, come and see me after Mass. But really think about this fact. Somewhere along the line, long before the 20th century, we learn to sacrament alone. And I don't think we're the better because of it.